medicine of East Asia is based on a science that does not hold itself separate from the phenomena that it seeks to understand. Our medicine did not grow out of petri dish experimentation or double-blind studies. It arose from observing nature and our part in it. East Asian medicine evolves not from the examination of dead structures, but rather from living systems with their complex, mutually entangled interactions. Welcome to Geological. I'm Michael Max, the host of this podcast that goes in-depth on issues pertinent to practitioners and students of East Asian medicine. Dialogue and discussion have always been elemental to Chinese and other East Asian medicines. Listen in to these conversations with experienced practitioners that go deep into how this ancient medicine is alive and unfolding in the modern clinic. Welcome back to Geological. Today, I have Neil Civila with me. Neil, we had a conversation over on Everyday Acupuncture, show number 31, Four-Footed Acupuncture. Neil is an acupuncturist for our four-footed friends. He's a, he's a veterinarian acupuncturist. In fact, he, he uses more than just acupuncture in his veterinarian practice, but acupuncture is, is a big thing that he does. And I suspect, like many acupuncturists, we get questions about animals. And I've got some of my own experience with treating uh, my own cat when I was in acupuncture school, who was actually one of my most amazing acupuncture teachers. And, and maybe I'll tell that story a little later on. But today I've got Neil with me because in my practice, I will often have people ask me if I can treat their animals. And on occasion I have, and that brings up all kinds of other questions too about legalities, you know, if you want to treat more than just, you know, maybe your own or your friend's animals and just how you approach animals if you want to be treating them and how that might be different than, than people. So I've got Neil here on the line today and we're going to get into what acupuncturists should know about treating critters. Neil, these geological conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Need to fill up the appointments created by late cancellations? Jane can help with that problem. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show... Listen for a special offer from Andrew Sturman on diet as medicine and the folks at Blue Poppy share some thoughts on the safety of herbal medicine. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect plum flower brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore whenever you need a break. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies, and enjoy bits of Chinese culture. This month, we're focusing on the treatment of various skin concerns like itchy skin and stubborn acne. 
And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our skin health formulas this month too. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway for your health and wellness needs. And as always, thanks for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. Change is never easy. This is evidenced by the fact that the scales weighing the number of people on the green side of change versus the number of people on the old, hard-on-the-planet ways of doing things are still way out of balance. Our planet is suffering, but our profession has an easier way to shift the scales. The founders of AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles started with a great needle and then created our industry's first eco-friendly packaging and reusable accessories. They also give back to nature by planting trees. I encourage you to challenge yourself to make the change. Ride the wave of spring yang chi and make the switch by joining me and the multitude of colleagues who made the change. Now you can celebrate Earth Month in April with pride knowing that you are helping us to tip the scales of planetary health towards a greener, healthier, and healing planet. Visit www.acufastneedles.com to get on board. You've probably already heard me here on the podcast share about Jane, my favorite all-in-one practice management software that helps you to run your practice online and manage no-shows. The team at Jane understands that life happens, and sometimes that means your patients are unable to make their scheduled appointment. If that's the case, a quick and easy way to fill those unexpected gaps in your day is by utilizing Jane's time-saving waitlist management features. You can take advantage of automated SMS text or email notifications to notify eligible waitlisted patients that there's an opening so they can easily scoop up an available time. If you know you're ready to sign up, you can mention the show or use the code CHEOLOGICAL for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Visit jane.app to get started today. Welcome to Geological. Hi, it's great to be back with you. Yeah, I've, I've always enjoyed our conversations. You know, one of the funny things is sometimes I'm just, you know, out in public just you know, at a party or something, and people find out I'm an acupuncturist. And it's funny, they'll say, oh, yeah, my dog gets acupuncture, or my horse gets acupuncture. And yet, they themselves don't get acupuncture, but they treat their pets to it or their animals to it. First of all, I find that to be an interesting thing, that that they will take better care in some ways of their animals than they take care of themselves. That is my experience as well. For me, that's a conversation starter in the exam room for a new client is, you know, have you ever had it yourself? And I mean, that is a universal truth, I think, is that pet owners will sacrifice everything for their pet, including their own well-being. The level of care that that our patients get from our clients who, by the time they get to us, they're usually pretty dedicated, very dedicated. That exact sentence is very common. I, I give my pet things that I would never be able to give myself. For me as an acupuncturist, I often will have patients and they're like, could you treat my cat or could you treat my dog? I treated my own cat when I was in acupuncture school. Like I mentioned, in some ways, my cat was one of my teachers. I was a little skeptical when I went to acupuncture school. I knew it worked for me, but sometimes studying this stuff, I was like, how do I know that any of this is real? It's just something somebody wrote in a book. But I had this cat 
who was getting a little up there in age, and, and her hips were a little bit arthritic. She'd have trouble on the stairs. And one day, I, I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I'm going to stick some pins in the cat and see what happens. All right? It's my cat. I'm a student. You know, I got an idea where gallbladder 30 is. You know, I, I can see the channels on her. At least I thought I could, and I didn't think I was going to hurt her. This was a lovely calico cat that would sit next to you, but would rarely sit on your lap, maybe for five seconds. So I get this cat. I get the cat in my lap. I stick some needles in. The cat purrs, which she often does, and she hangs on my lap for 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Take the pins out. And, you know, for about a month, she's good on the stairs. Once a month, she needs a treatment. And it really showed me that acupuncture can have an incredibly profound effect on, you know, really any living organism. You know, and I've done this for friends. I haven't really done this for money. But I'll have a friend, and I'm thinking of a dog that was in a bad way. Um, they were thinking of putting the dog down because it lost the use of its hind legs. That dog never regained complete use, but that dog was well enough after acupuncture to, you know, live a life as a dog. You bet. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. So, well, first of all, I want to start with the legalities, right? If, if us acupuncturists would like to expand our practice or at least be of service to our patients, you know, to the rest of our patients' family, so to speak, including their animals, what are some of the things that we need to consider as an acupuncturist? Sure. Well, let me first start with your, I mean, you should take it, I think, as a huge compliment for a patient to say, could you treat my animal or friend? You know, how, what kind of trust is that? And on the flip side, I get that question all the time. You know, hey, could you treat me? So I take it as a huge compliment that people trust the medicine, to believe in the medicine, to trust you enough or trust anyone enough to say, I want you to do this for me. But if we look at the legalities, there's two viewpoints you need to take from the licensed acupuncturist point of view. You know, you work under a practice act as a licensed professional and that I'm thinking in every state would not preclude you from working on an animal. You know, your your practice act probably says human you know, the, the terminology in there would be human. And I bring this up because what we've seen with chiropractic practice acts, uh, some states have changed theirs to say spine instead of human spine to leave it a bit open ended so that a chiropractor who may want to work on animals, uh, at least from their licensure standpoint, it would it would open that door. I don't know of a state for a licensed acupuncturist that would specifically reference animals from their side. But it may be open enough that it could include it. That's correct. The flip side, though, is from the veterinary side. And that's where, and, and like a licensed acupuncturist, you know, those laws vary by every state. And our Veterinary Practice Act varies by state, but most of them are pretty uniform. So most states use as their template for what's involved in the practice of veterinary medicine, they use a template that's uh, provided by the American Veterinary Medical Association, which is our huge member group, you know, 100,000 vets in this country. And it's our AMA, you know, the AVMA. And they have a model practice act. And in that practice act, it defines acupuncture as the practice of veterinary medicine. 
from my side of the fence, so to speak, most often, with, with a few exceptions, it would be considered the practice of veterinary medicine. Now, states can alter that, and they have. So certain states will allow a veterinarian to refer to another licensed professional if they feel that there's a need. The state of Oregon is the, is the state that pops to mind where veterinarians can refer a patient to a licensed acupuncturist for treatment. In the bulk of the states, the majority, it would be considered the practice of veterinary medicine and whether or not a veterinarian could refer a case to a licensed acupuncturist. Sometimes it's open. Some states just leave it very gray and say that we can refer to a licensed professional if we feel the need. Chiropractic is a better example where some states have specific guidelines laid out that a veterinarian could refer to another, uh, you know, a licensed chiropractor. Even some states, I have not seen this with acupuncture in any state, but there are a few states in regard to human chiropractors working on animals where they specify that the chiropractor has had, needs to have had some approved training in working with animals. So for the most part, from my side of the fence, so to speak, it's a veterinary only thing. Now, Oregon being the the prime example of, of a place where it's not, where a veterinarian could refer. So that brings up the other issue, you know, do you need a referral from a veterinarian to do this thing? And acupuncture is still controversial, of course, like it is in human medicine. And so, you know, if you had to depend as a as an owner on your primary care veterinarian saying, I think I should refer you for acupuncture, that may not happen. You know, a lot of our our clients find us on their own. Well, yes. And, and that's so often the case, you know, even with, with people, on occasion, we'll get a referral from a doctor, but most people are referring themselves. Right. So there are other issues that surround that as far as insurance that I have thought about. You know, certainly my malpractice insurance covers what I do as far as the acupuncture care. I would I would think that a licensed acupuncturist working on animals could not get coverage or it would be very expensive to work on an animal. And then, of course, you have to worry about the injury potential, you know. If you were, say, cats, of course, being a good example, is that cat going to get upset when it's being needled and and either try to injure you or the owner? And, you know, there could be some risk there for both the client and the acupuncturist. Yeah, that was one of the things that comes to mind for me. I'm pretty good with cats. I kind of grok cats. I mean, if somebody wanted to bring me a cat, I'm pretty sure that I could, you know, communicate enough with that cat to get a few needles in place. Dogs, I, I don't quite get dogs the same way I get cats. You know, one of the issues that comes up for me is what do you do about, especially if it's a larger animal, you know, getting bitten or, you know, having the animal get out of control in some way. Yes. You know, things happen. And, you know, we're to the point in our profession where we really discourage owners from being involved in even holding, a lot of times even holding their animal while it's being treated for any, not just acupuncture, but for any procedure. Because just anything can happen if they injure the client. That's a whole new set of liabilities there. Like with so many different practices, there, you know, there's different laws. You know, often professions will get a little persnickety with each other because of the scope creep. Somebody wants to use needles, and oh no, that's what acupuncturists do. You guys can't do that. And you know, depending on how laws are written and such, you know, sometimes people will use needles. And it sounds like in this case, from the veterinarian's side, 
you know, you basically have to be a veterinarian to do this. That's how mo- that's how the laws are generally written. From the acupuncture side, depending on if it says human or not, there's enough grayness in there, it might be considered within your scope of practice. That's exactly right. And I like that idea of scope creep. I mean, just the idea that, you know, who should do what? And then let's let's take that example. You know, what if there's some sort of issue with an acupuncturist working on a pet? Generally, when we've seen this with a cross-professional thing, you know, the veterinary medical board may do some sort of cease and desist. And, you know, that has more impact on a person with a license, per se, than... Uh, a licensed acupuncturist who may, you know, get in trouble with their own board or their own, their own board may not uh, care to participate in that. We've seen that at various levels in veterinary medicine where outside professionals, you know, their associations may or, or licensing boards may or may not want to get involved. Hello, everyone. Andrew Sturman here. I've been working with clients in Chinese medicine dietary therapy for over two decades in New York City. My focus is beautiful, simple, delicious, and health-supportive home cooking. Good meals can be inspired by the strategies of classic herbal formulas so that each meal is infused with medical intention from appetizer to dessert. This requires an understanding of the energetic properties of grains, vegetables, meats, fruits, and more, and knowing which foods are moistening, drying, building, clearing, warming or cooling, as well as their directionality. I've organized these teachings in my two-volume book series, Welcoming Food, where you can learn this theory, practice it in your own kitchen, and love doing so. See the positive reviews and incredible testimonials from practitioners and patients who've brought this material into their own kitchens. Welcoming Food, books one and two, can easily be found online, and if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, where I'll be posting cooking tutorials, you can find me at Welcoming Food. Back to you, Michael. Thanks very much. It sounds to me like if you're going to tread into those waters, use some caution and really no one knows how this could go. I mean, it depends on if someone kicks up a fuss, I suspect, is often what it comes down to. You know, usually boards don't respond to things unless there's been a complaint. That's right. So, you know, is there going to be a veterinarian who's upset when they hear about someone doing something? Is there is a client going to be unsatisfied with treatment or, you know, might there be some sort of freak accident where now all of a sudden someone who was your friend is now unhappy about how things went? You know, there's a lot of room for error in there. The other two big issues that are always uh, put forth from from the veterinary side are if a person say again we're talking about acupuncture today so is a is a licensed acupuncturist are they going to be able to recognize communicable diseases or zoonotic diseases that could be passed from animal to person and you know is there a proper diagnosis you know is there we don't want to ever want any delay to treatment you know is a is a, an animal that's limping arthritic or may they have some sort of fracture and so those are the arguments put forth that you know we need to protect the pet as well as the public. And that really speaks to the need for if licensed acupuncturists are going to get involved with this, that they should have some training in animals. It certainly would be helpful. And I would think at the very least to know when you might be over your head to be able to, the various things that you just mentioned here, is that limp from arthritis or is there a fracture? To be able to Make sure that you've got a actual licensed, knowledgeable, skilled veterinarian also looking at the animal. 
because there's a bunch of stuff we would otherwise miss. You bet. You bet. So that's an ideal relationship. You know, and and I've got a colleague in in Oregon. We'll use Oregon as the example because that work, that's where it seems to be working. And um, got an email from her yesterday, and and she has uh, two or three licensed acupuncturists that she works with with her patients, and she's very satisfied with the outcome. Is there anything else from that legal standpoint that we would need to know about as acupuncturists? Well, the other thing is. The idea of some some states will require for various things what they what we may call direct or indirect supervision, and that that really varies by state, and it's kind of it's kind of confusing at times. For instance, in my state, Ohio, in our practice act, the phrase direct supervision, which might imply that someone is standing there supervising someone else, it actually means that the veterinarian is available by phone. So uh, when we talk about referring to another licensed professional, for instance, a chiropractor, uh, which is legal in my state, the law says they need to be under direct supervision. And so that in my state, that means the chiropractor can be in a separate office working on an animal as long as I'm available by phone. You know, so there's ideas of would that acupuncturist need to be working in a veterinarian's office, which I feel is ideal. But there are also areas, you know, does there need to be a written referral? Does there need to be supervision either on-site or off-site and that sort of thing? Let's just say we've decided to take this on, right? Someone's got a dog. Someone's got a cat. We feel comfortable with the relationship. How do we transfer our skills from being a human acupuncturist to being an animal acupuncturist? Are there some books? Are there some resources? If we wanted to dip our toe in that stream, so to speak, how would we get started? To first off, I'd say f for acupuncturists out there, no matter your philosophy of practice, there's a veterinarian out there doing it, you know, that's thought about doing it. So if you're, you know, classical Chinese medicine, if you're TCM, if you're five element, you know, there are resources uh, regarding the use of those philosophies in animals, for sure. Definitely, there are three training programs in this country for veterinarians uh, to train them how to do acupuncture. And those groups generally have bookstores and there are excellent texts written so an acupuncturist can familiarize themselves with uh, point locations, that sort of thing. You know, we can put those in the show notes for sure. You know, so there, there are resources for sure. What are some of the other cautions and concerns that an acupuncturist would have in in treating animals? Well, I would think getting just up to speed on point locations, you know, something as simple as if, if that practitioner does pulse and tongue diagnosis in their human patients that, you know, that's a that's a different ball game with with our animals, you know, in small, we're talking about dogs and cats, we certainly do tongue diagnosis. And uh, most of us do pulse diagnosis with ephemeral pulses rather than trying to do a radial pulse like like you would in people. So there are some some differences for sure. So point locations, some of your regular diagnostic uh, procedures. And then, of course, we're depending because we're having to work through the caretaker of that pet. You know, the history questions that you would ask, we need to suss that out with maybe one or a couple members of the family. So where you, whereas you might get some pretty straight answers from a patient sitting in your exam room. You know, we've got the, the nuance of having to deal with someone who's speaking for that, for that patient, as well as, you know, we're, 
we're relying pretty heavily on our on our examination as well. And then, of course, the other things that we talked about already, you know, the potential for the animal handling part of it, the potential for injury and and even just as something as simple as providing a low stress environment to work, you know, so that the patient actually is comfortable being treated. You know, as human acupuncturist, I think that's one of the things that we really look to try to provide for our patients is uh, an environment they can come into that's not this fluorescent cold table like you usually get at the regular doctor's office. Absolutely. And a lot of us that do acupuncture uh, as part of our veterinary practices, I'm, I'm fortunate that that's all I do. I don't do any traditional practice. And there, of course, I'm not alone. There are hundreds at least of, of other veterinarians that do that. Um, those that maybe do acupuncture as part of the, what they offer in a traditional practice may have a certain room that they do the acupuncture in uh, that has some altered lighting or some more, more comfortable, you know, maybe doesn't have that cold exam table. Yeah. So we're trying to optimize the experience for sure. Yeah. You know, I, I suspect it's probably more comfortable for the pet owner as well to come into that environment to be in that environment i suspect they settle and uh and and have more comfort as well yeah we're fortunate you know and again in our office that that's all we do so we don't have to worry about those stainless steel tables we we use aromatherapy and essential oils and calming music and you know we we try to make it optimum for for both parties and uh we get good feedback on that. So, you know, and that's, that's just better for a whole experience all around for both the patient and the owner. You know, there's this thing that we hear a lot about with acupuncture that it's primarily placebo, at least from the, the conventional medicine point of view, because they're, they're just not sure how to make sense of it. And, you know, and a lot of people, especially if they've not used acupuncture or they don't have a background in it uh they wonder if it's if it's all in their head if it's all just placebo when they get better i I get this all the time people get off the table and go and they feel so tremendously different they go is this just in my head right we get that all the time one of the things about animals at least from from my perspective is we might not have the same placebo effect that we do with humans but then again you know, there's many ways that we communicate with our furry friends beyond words that deeply touches both of us. Could you speak a bit to placebo in veterinarian acupuncture? There's not good research in animals on placebo. We think that they don't uh, respond to a placebo effect. I, I have to think in my office, that's what we experience, you know, that, of course, the other thing that we have to deal with is the owner's expectation and uh, whether or not they're responding to some sort of placebo. We may have a single uh, owner that brings the pet in for treatment. And so we're relying on their opinion about how things are going. We may have, for instance, we may have a couple uh, who may or may not agree on how well the treatments are are helping the pet. Uh, Unfortunately for things you know, in our offices, we don't have some sort of measurement capabilities, for instance, for an animal who may have some sort of lameness or be sore. You know, we don't have force plates that we can measure and demonstrate that, yes, they are 
putting more weight on that injured leg than they than they were before treatment. So we have to rely on our examination and our impression of the patient as well as the owner's um, feedback. And so that's where we might get a placebo is they may so desperately want their pet to feel better that they they may overstate or understate sometimes the pet's condition. Two basic misconceptions stand in the way of people feeling comfortable using Chinese herbal medicine, even as they are feeling more positive about acupuncture. They are concerned about safety as herbal medicine is an unregulated industry and feel herbs are not effective to treat most conditions. Blue Poppy is committed to meeting all FDA safety regulations. All of their herbal products contain minimal or no filler to maximize potency and efficiency. Their granules are carefully manufactured in GMP-certified facilities, and every batch is tested multiple times for pesticides, heavy metals, and microbial content at the manufacturer and by SGS Laboratory, a Swiss certification and inspection company. For over 20 years, Blue Poppy has made quality and safety manufacturing standards their biggest priority, resulting in exceptionally effective herbal formulas. Their years of experience provide you with the best possible herbs so your patients have the best possible outcomes. With free shipping and free dropship service on orders over $50, Blue Poppy should be your favorite place to shop for herbs. Use the code CHI2024 to receive 10% off Blue Poppy products on your next order. That's interesting. I I hadn't thought about that until we're having this conversation. That because you have the intermediary of a human being, there's all of that to take into consideration as well. Oh God, yeah. Yes. So you've got like again, you know, we may have for whatever reason there, uh, you know, a, the emotional attachment to the pet. The you know that may cause an owner to think that the pet is better when they're not they may want to continue treatment longer than than we feel that should be attempted because of that attachment we may have couples that disagree you know we treat a lot of geriatric pets in our office and so you know a pet that may be fecal or urinary incontinent may be causing having accidents in the house and that may be totally unacceptable to one member of the household and another that may be no big deal so we've got all those all those ancillary issues to contend with as well. That just throws a whole different dimension into veterinarian work that we wouldn't have with human work, isn't it? Right. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Have there been studies done in the veterinarian world looking at placebo? Is this anything that, from your side of it, from the veterinarian side, conventionally or acupuncture-wise, how's placebo looked at or, or dealt with or even is it even thought about? It is thought about. It's just hard. It's hard to reproduce, you know. So there are studies involving placebo, certainly when they're looking at the uh, effectiveness of new treatments. And generally, that's not acupuncture. That's a drug or some sort of procedure. Uh, we may get uh, some placebo involved in those trials, but nothing of any importance has come out disproving or showing that placebo is a real uh, a real effect for these guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would it be safe to say that placebo is something we can pretty much rule out when it comes to animals? I think so. Especially cats, right? Because they're they're not going to put up with any bull whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's one of the things I like about them. 
Yeah, they're going to let you know exactly how they feel. Yeah. In your experience, what are some of the conditions that tend to respond well to acupuncture? You know, we our foot in the door, just like I'm sure on the human side, are conditions of discomfort, you know, arthritis, neurologic problems, uh, that sort of thing. At least I have benefited from those patients, those clients that I do get that have had acupuncture. You know, maybe it's been for some sort of injury or, you know, I'm not involved in reproduction at all with animals. But, you know, how powerful acupuncture is for reproduction. So I would guess that a a fair number of my clients have had acupuncture for, for fertility and know that it works. So certainly any internal medical condition with allergies, uh, of course, seizures, uh, cancer are uh, unfortunately our practice sees a fair number of patients with cancer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, you mentioned seizures, and this is maybe just slightly off topic, but I want to go there anyway. We've been hearing a lot about CBD oil for humans with seizures. I'm wondering if you're using this with animals. We are. Mm -hmm. We are. There's some issues, you know, with the legality of that. If you look at the DEA uh, still considers CBD or hemp oil to be marijuana, which which is classified schedule one, which would mean no proven medical use. So it's a bit difficult. But, you know, these things can be purchased by owners or patients themselves. Uh, But we have found in our office that CBD has been very useful for not only seizures, but a number of other conditions as well. I think we're just scratching the surface. That's my suspicion too. What are some of the other conditions that you see it being helpful for besides the neurological? Sure. We certainly use it uh, as part of a pain control plan for a lot of our patients. We use it for the immune the immune modulation that it can provide for our cancer patients and of course appetite stimulation for those patients when they need it you know i'm almost hard pressed to to at least with our patient load it's hard to come up with a patient who couldn't benefit from it one of the things that concerns me a little bit about it it seems like such a panacea in some ways it seems to be helpful for so many different things that's true that's true i guess i guess it would fall on that uh, sort of adaptogenic category. I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find any Chinese herbs in particular seem to help CBD work better or if the CBD um, boosts up some, some of your Chinese formulations? You know, I haven't, I haven't really paid attention to that. I couldn't name a formula that I thought a formula or two that I thought worked better with the CBD, but, but I I would suspect that that's the case. Yeah. It's one of the things that I've been thinking about since well, you know, just in the past couple of years, it's come on my radar as well. And I've got many more questions about it than I do answers. So I'm just going to have to find a CBD expert to get on the show here. Well, I could help you with that. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually got someone lined up who I'll be talking to uh, in the near future. So keep listening here to Geological because we're going we're gonna to be discussing that from a, from a very deep Chinese medicine point of view here in the near future. If we decide that we don't want to take a stab, so to speak, at treating animals, but we do want to help our patients find someone who's qualified to take care of their animals with acupuncture or Chinese medicine, 
But how do you find a good veterinarian acupuncturist? And what are you looking for in terms of credentials or training? Sure. That, that's, that's great. I think, at least in our office, that mutual relationship is with the other professionals is really great for, for practice building. Um, I've got a relationship, you know, clients see how well it works for their pet and they want to try it. So I've got a handful of, of trusted acupuncturists that I can refer them to and vice versa. So it's a, it's an excellent way to just refer people back and forth. So there are, there are a number of training programs for veterinarians uh, to train them in acupuncture and, and I can provide those to you for the show notes. Um, the, the problem is that there's no one good clearinghouse like like licensed acupuncturists there's no good way to find a central referral location so i can provide you with some resources the schools themselves maintain a database of practitioners we have some national associations that uh, you know a veterinarian may or may not choose to be a member of uh, they may be a member of the uh the Alumni Association of their training program, which is one resource I can provide for you. They may choose to be a member of a national organization, which really helps uh, because all of those groups will use, have a geographic locator. Then the other question is, you know, does the veterinarian, is that a mainstay of their practice? You know, they've gone through the basic training. Uh, for us, that involves at least a couple hundred hours. It involves an examination at the end and involves uh, doing some case reports for approval. And it involves uh, all the programs require um, between 20 and 40 hours of an internship with a with a credentialed doctor, which I think is is great to get a, a new practitioner out with a more experienced one to spend some time and to have case discussions and that sort of thing. So, you know, certainly making sure that the doctor has finished a program, has gone through the certification process, and is maintaining a current certification is the first step. For me, the second step is, you know, how much are they using it in their practice? Unfortunately, we see in acupuncture and veterinary acupuncture, a lot of veterinarians who may start the course, maybe not finish, maybe not finish the whole credentialing process or certification process, and or may get that far and then just not you know, they may be in a busy general practice, a primary care practice, and they just may not use it that much. And more and more, I mean, there are literally thousands of veterinarians out there that, that spend their days doing acupuncture. And so those are the people to try to find. Yeah. You, you want the person who's completed the training and has some experience and, and ideally daily, weekly experience. Exactly. That it's a big exactly. piece of their practice. Yep. And we're out there. It's yeah. just, it's just being, having the resources to find that person. Yeah. Well, and so often I think it's the case with any kind of, of healthcare practitioner on occasion, you'll find someone on the internet, but usually you're looking through your social network. Do you know someone? Has someone else had a good experience with someone? Have they been helped? That, that word of mouth thing is so important, but yeah, especially in this case, I'm looking forward to having these resources to put on the show notes because it's it's a good place to start. You bet. It's absolutely a great place to start. Yeah. Yep. Great. Yeah. Neil, is there anything else that we should know as acupuncturists about working with critters? You know, for a licensed acupuncturist that's interested, we talked about the uh, 
the written resources, you know, textbooks, charts, that sort of thing. They appear to be inactive right now, but there are two training programs for licensed acupuncturists to get them up to speed on working with animals. And, and one is out in Oregon and the other is in Maryland. And we can put those, I can provide those resources uh, for you as well so that you can have them for the show notes. Great. That sounds wonderful. Well, as ever, it's it's great to talk with you, and thank you for taking the time to uh, speak with us about this aspect of acupuncture that, you know, kind of lingers in the corners of our clinic and conversations from time to time. I, I uh, it, This is certainly helpful for me, and I hadn't thought about building relationships, kind of an alliance with, with veterinarians so that I would have someone that I could refer to, and it didn't even occur to me that that referral could be coming back the other way, that they're getting questions about, hey, where can I as a human being go to get acupuncture? That's a that's kind of a little practice building tip that I don't think I've ever heard before. It's a great idea. Good. You know, besides, of course, my, my our work toward helping pets feel better, it brings me great joy to be able to show a client the benefits of acupuncture and get them interested and get them the help that they may need. It's extremely rewarding to to be able to refer that that client to an, an acupuncturist and have them get help and just spread the word. And on the other end, I, I would thank every acupuncturist that's done a great job with their patients. And, you know, we get those clients in that have had acupuncture and experienced the benefits and then they know what it can do for their pets. And that's a phenomenal thing as well. Yes, it is. Great. Neil, thanks again. Oh, you're very welcome. It's great to talk to you again. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community.